Listen, happy Labor Day. If you haven't been here for a while because you've been out traveling and enjoying the sunshine, welcome back. Just so you know, we're still in Ephesians and have been for like 30 weeks. I, I've lost count. We've been in Ephesians for so long and we haven't even gotten that far. We're only in chapter 2. We take it slow, painfully slow maybe at, uh, for some of you, but we're actually proud of that. We feel like there's a lot of information. There's not just information. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of theology in Ephesians. And we want to soak it up. We don't want to leave anything behind. We want to pick the bone clean, so to speak, and make sure we're doing what we can to try to, to, try to glean as much truth and power and understanding and, and, and try to enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we just heard about previously by going through Ephesians Nice and slow. Sorry, I've got like a wardrobe malfunction up here. I got a mic that's a little funny. So I may be, may be messing with that. So anyway, so we're in Ephesians. We're coming to a verse that some of you have heard before. Probably if you've been in the church, by, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not about your works. And I wonder if some of us believe that. <laughs> and some of you are like, well, of course I believe it. Of course I believe it. But I wonder, do we believe that? Or do we believe something different? Do we believe this verse, which says, For by my works have I been saved through faith in myself. And this is my own doing. It is my gift to God, a result of my works, so that I may boast. That's not from Ephesians. That's actually from Mephesians. Matt Porter came up with that, so you can give him credit for that funny joke. I wonder if that's what we're thinking, if that's what we're believing instead of, for by grace we have been saved through faith. I'm afraid the church over the years, the evangelical movement, whatever you want to call it, we may have gotten a little soft. We read stuff like that and we're like, yeah, 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 I know. I've heard that a million times. It's not by works. It's in one ear, out the other. I got it. I've heard it. Let's move on. And then what do we do? We leave on Sunday and Monday through Saturday, what do we do? We do the opposite. We live as if the world depends on us. We, we, we live as though our work is all about us. It's all about me. It's, it's, it's only me. If I don't perform, I'm screwed. And if I do perform, everybody's going to know about it because I'm telling everybody. I'm going to boast about my performance. We have to know that there is no secular, sacred split. Have you heard of this idea? We don't, we don't come to church and think one thing and then leave church and think the opposite for the rest of the week. There is no split. There is no secular, sacred split. We often will do what we do with our vocation, we do with our salvation. We can't separate the two. You can't say, I'm saved by grace, by faith, and then you go to work, whatever you do, if you're growing babies or you're growing a paycheck or you're growing a business, and say, nope, it's all about me. I got to work. I got I to gotta hustle. I got I to gotta get to work or else I'm screwed. We do this, and I don't know when this started. We, we consider our, our vocation, our, our salvation, 
maybe the industrial revolution in this country, maybe it goes back further, I don't know. We do this and we've done it for a while. I know this is true because I do this. I am this. I don't know when it started. I think I was thinking back like when did I when did I consider work like my salvation? I'm ashamed to admit that, but it's the truth. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. And I think it started back in in wrestling. Okay? Wrestling practice, I was like 14 or 15 years old. You know, uh, we're we're at practice, and I got this coach who's super intense. His name is Kerry Haddon, if you know him. He's actually from Salem. We would walk around, he'd clap, hammer and nails, boys, let's get to work. He'd just repeat that over and over again. And at first, you're like, "Ah, this guy's a little funny, this is a little bit weird. But then I like, oh, we get to work. I love this. I don't know if you know anything about wrestling, right? You You want to know what's great about wrestling? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing is great about wrestling. You know in basketball, like you shoot, and the guys are like, ah, like they're going to make it. So they pose, you know, or the gals, I should say. Or in baseball, when you, when you crank one, and then you just hold it. Or golf, like actually this is golf here. It's more of a golf swing. And you hold it because you think you're Tiger Woods because you hit one good shot in an entire round of golf. You look cool. That never happens in wrestling. You never look cool. It's never fun. It's only work. The, the wrestling coach, like you practice the same move over and over and over again, and then you wrestle live from that same move if it's a double leg takedown or something. Then you wrestle a bunch of matches at the end of practice, and then just when you have no energy left, you're like absolutely gassed. You do a thousand up downs, if you know what that is, and then they make you run back and forth in the mat room as many times as you can until you absolutely just puke. I'm not kidding. I'm, that's not a figurative thing. Like most everybody is puking at the end of every wrestling coach, if you have a good wrestling coach. It's just work, an, an insane amount of work, and I loved it. I wasn't very good, I wasn't very strong, but I can work. So I won a couple matches, not, not that many, but. We do the same thing. We love work. We love to accomplish things. We love to produce. We love to create something out of nothing. Don't we? Can you be honest with me? From growing a baby to growing a business or to growing crops. We love that. And vocation becomes our salvation. The same is true of our, uh, of our works. Our works become our salvation because we can't separate the two we can't say one thing one day and then uh, uh, say one thing on Sunday and then act completely separate Monday through Saturday so my thesis what we're what we're going off of here today is we think too highly of our work we think too highly of our works we don't think highly enough of God's work that's the problem we think too highly of our work we don't think highly enough of God's work and the solution is just the opposite We need to think less of our work. We need to think more of God's work in us and God's work through us. That's the solution to our problem. So if we look at the verse, the actual verse, not me Ephesians, but Ephesians. For you have, I'm sorry, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why is Paul writing this? The simple explanation, and he's just trying to give us a little nugget here, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace, and then he gives us the opposite, right, in the next sentence. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not you. It's not your work. 
And he's, and he's giving that to us because we have a tendency to try to earn it. You think about the, I don't know, the environmentalist or something who is, uh, is passionate about global warming or, or stopping global warming or climate change, whatever we're calling that now. And so his salvation is in the mission of reducing the temperature increase. And that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to make an impact on that. And if he gets it, oh, it's salvation. And we see the, the temperature start to come down. And if he don't, oh, we're hosed. We're devastated because it's getting too warm. It's true of the environmentalists. It's true of everybody. It's true of every job that we do. I must perform. I must succeed. Success at any cost, especially in this culture, especially in this country. But this country just started it. I think the rest of the world has it now, right? They've, we've infected everyone with this success at all costs. Vocation has become our salvation. We've been doing this from the industrial resolution, and now the younger generation, they can see the fallacy for what that is, right? They're saying, all right, I, I, uh, I see what the baby boomers and the, the greatest generation, whatever, the, the generations before that, I see they've put, every, they've put uh, work above all things, but I don't want to do that anymore. So now what's, what are they doing? They're doing quiet quitting. Have you heard of this? This is, where, uh, this is where the millennials, I'm like on the cusp of a millennial and generation Xer. I'll just consider myself a generation Xer for now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> millennials, generation Z, I guess, the younger generation now, they're not quitting. They just are stopping, not everybody, right? Throw you all under the bus, but they're just stopping to do their work. So they just are going to stop doing some of the stuff that they're required to do. Just see how long it takes to get fired. They're doing quiet quitting. Isn't that awful? They got it right though? Did they figure it out? Their work is not their God. They've discovered that. Work is not their God. Unfortunately, they just traded it though, right? They traded the salvation of work for underwork. They, they, they traded their salvation of vocation for vacation. They serve now a God of comfort and a God of leisure. They serve a God of safety. This is their new work to see how little they could actually work. I think they're still missing the mark, aren't they? Salvation is not your vocation, not by your vocation. It's not by your work. Salvation is not by vacation. Salvation is not by your reputation. Parents, isn't this what we do when our kid is being defiant, when they're just being punks, they're misbehaving, they're doing it in public, and what do we do? We rage because my reputation is on the line. You reflect on me, son or daughter. This is my reputation. I want people to see me as a good person, a good parent perhaps. And when you fall out of line, that reflects poor reflects poorly on me that proves that reputation is our salvation and it's true of people in the church too our morality our good works we want to be seen as a good church going person a christian 10.0 as my brother down in california calls it we want to be seen as a good christian our works are our salvation our reputation is our salvation so we'll engage in good works to save ourselves Paul is specifically talking to these ideas. 
And he's saying it's not about your work. It's not about your vocation. It's not about vacation. It's not about your reputation. You are saved by grace through faith. We have it too high of a view of our own works. We need to rely on the grace of God to save us. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited kindness from God. Grace it cannot be earned. It's not merit-based. If you earn it, it's not grace. Grace is giving you kindness even when you don't deserve it. But that's not what we do. We try to earn it. And in doing so, we, we proclaim that we are self-made, self-reliant, self-justified, self-righteous people. And we downplay the grace of God when we do that. When we proclaim, when we rest, when we um, uh, boast in our work or our works, we are downplaying the grace of God. How much sense does that make? How much sense does it make to downplay the grace of God? That's like rolling up to a panhandler and being like, hey, man, things look rough. And he's like, oh, no, I'm actually doing great. It looks worse than it is. I've had a great day. Thank you so much. Have a great, have a great day. It's ridiculous, right? We are needy. We need the grace of God. Spurgeon says something intense. To downplay your need for grace is to elevate your good works. Spurgeon says there is no better way to commit spiritual suicide than to elevate your good works and to claim you are saved by your works. There's no better way to commit spiritual suicide. This is pretty intense. We got to stop doing this. And this is how we do it. We stop proclaiming our merits before God. And we start proclaiming our demerits. We don't sit here and proclaim our strengths before God. We proclaim our weaknesses. We don't come to God with our arms full and say, look at what I've done. Look at all these amazing things that I've done for you, God. We don't rest in our works. We don't boast about our works. We don't claim our works. No, we come with our hands empty. What, what is that saying? To the, uh, to the cross I come. I'm sorry. Somebody help me with this. Everybody knows this one. Only to the cross I come. Nothing do I bring. Only to the cross I cling. There it is. Okay, I'm sorry. That was painful. Only to the... <laughs> Nothing do I bring. Only to the cross I cling. I'm sorry. I should have written that down. This is what we do. We come to Jesus. We come to God with our hands open and say, I got nothing for you. I deserve nothing. I need it all. I need a, a, a ton of mercy. I need a ton of grace. And we plead with him. We plead three things. We, played, we plead, it's bad, you're good, work in me. Those three things. This is not rocket science. We say, my situation is horrible, God. My situation is worse than I thought. I am the sinner. I am the tax collector, the prostitute, the worst of the worst. I got nothing. I've rejected your grace. I've relied on my own works. I've proclaimed my own my own few good works that I do throughout the week. I am the sinner. I deserve wrath. I deserve nothing. 
but God. You are good. You are great. You are the almighty, the, the incredible God. You exist to save sinners like me. God, mercy is what I need. I have an infinite amount of mercy, but in, in, the, in the previous couple of chapters in Ephesians, what, what do we hear? He's rich in mercy. He's abundant in mercy. I have an abundant need. He has an abundant supply. We plead with God and say, if you pouring out grace onto a sinner makes you more gracious, here I am. Pour out your grace. Pour out your mercy on my life. I absolutely need it because my situation is bad and you are incredible, God. That's what we do in quiet. Do this. It's bad. You're good. And then you follow that up with work in me. What is God's work. We don't think highly enough of God's work. I told you we think too highly of our own work. We don't think highly enough of God's work. What is the work of God? Is creation the work of God? Absolutely. Taking something from nothing, making this beautiful place? Absolutely. What else was God's work? Is Jesus on the cross? Jesus bleeding out and dying on the cross for you and for me? Heck yeah, that's God's work. That's some of the best work that's ever been done. Am I right? What other work is God doing? Let's read verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his work. We are his handiwork. We are the nothing that he makes something out of. He is the great craftsman who makes something incredible out of us. Like the incredible cabinet maker that Jeff Schneider is. Who goes to this church. He's not here today. Taking a pile of material. A stack of wood. And making the most beautiful kitchen you've ever seen. With a curved hood out of wood. How does you even do this? Makes this curved uh, hood. With these little details that come across. And come down. Just like Holly wanted in my kitchen. He's amazing. He's a miracle worker. He's a craftsman. He is a, an excellent cabinet maker. God is an excellent craftsman. Like Nate, Nate will take, Nate Curtis will take a piece of steel and he'll mold it and he'll bend it and he'll cut it and he'll shape it and he'll drill it. Whoa, Nate, seriously. You didn't want me to talk about you? Makes this perfect piece that you can, what, pimp out a VW bus with? Is that what we're doing? That's what he's doing. Can you say pimp out a VW bus in church? Probably not. That you can upgrade a VW bus with. How about that? We'll scratch that from the podcast. Nate is a craftsman. God is the great craftsman. We are the clay. He is the potter. We are the stack of material, formless. He is the steel that, I mean, I'm sorry, we are the steel that he shapes and that he molds into something incredible. And we are created in Christ Jesus. You have to, you have to uh, remember this from the verse. We are his workmanship created 
in Christ Jesus, created by Christ Jesus, created with Christ Jesus, created through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is being formed in us. That is the work that's being done in us. Did you know that? That formed, uh, Christ Jesus being formed in you comes from Galatians 4. That is the work that's being done in us. We're not just being pulled from a low position. We are being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And the work that he starts in us, Christians, the work that the great craftsman starts in us, will be finished. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says if he started it, he's going to finish it. You will either be led into this work or you will be driven. You will either go willingly as a Christian and, and be perfected by God, by the great craftsman, his work inside of you, or he's going to knock the corners off the hard way. Sounds kind of violent, doesn't it? It feels violent when that happens to you. It has felt violent to me. Do you see the work that God is doing in your life? Do you see the work of the craftsman that is happening in your life? Is your life being formed? Is your life being shaped? Is your life being molded? Is Christ being formed in you? Can you see it? Is there meaningful change? Or are you just here playing church? That is not what this church is for. We are not here just to do a little church and then leave. And Monday through Saturday, we completely reverse what we believe and we live a completely different way. That's not what this church is for. We are here as a workshop for God. Have you seen the disciples being made here? They are. Have you seen servants being trained? That's what we want to do. We want to see pastors being risen up. This is the great craftsmen we're talking about. We're not just here to, to, to play church. That's what amateurs do. God is here to take an amateur and make him a pro or make her a pro by pleading with him and saying, I cannot do any of this on my own. God, would you work in me? Would you work through me? This is how this plays out. God works in us. God works through us. How does he work through us? Again, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the good works that we're supposed to walk in? Are we supposed to feed the homeless? Are we supposed to help out at the church, set up and tear down, helping the kids? Are we supposed to kick down occasionally? Yes, of course. Those are great. I wouldn't diminish those for a second. But is there more than that? Oh, yeah. What about our work? Could our work be an opportunity for good works? Work is a huge part of our lives. What else can you do for 40 hours a week and have it be healthy for you other than sleep? What else can you do? Nothing. Our work, that thing that used to define us, that thing that, that we used to uh, view as our salvation, is now an opportunity for God to work through us. 
You see, we've got to, we can't separate work from church or work from faith. We must align them. This is the greatest opportunity for us to make a difference in the world, is to view your work as not secular, not without God, not separate from God. It's with God. We've got to combine faith and work. It's a powerful thing to do this. I don't care what you do, growing babies, growing a paycheck, or, or uh, growing crops. We must see that our work can be aligned with our faith. First of all, you need to know that work is not a curse. Work is a gift from God. Did you know that? Work is a gift. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a curse. There was work in the garden before sin. God told Adam and Eve, work it, work this garden, keep it, subdue the earth. God made this earth. He made it awesome, right? But he left it unfinished so we could come behind him, so we could reorganize the pieces, just like a farmer, right? You take the dirt, you take the plants, you take the water, you reorganize them so it will flourish. That's what our work is. We want to take, some, take nothing and turn it into something, whether it's a baby, whether it's a kid in school, whether it's a business. God loves to work. God loves to create. And he's an excellent worker. He's the great craftsman. After, based on what I said earlier. He is the incredible worker. When we use work to justify ourselves. When we use work to define ourselves. When it's success at all costs. And we're, and we're nervous. And we're, we're, we're uptight. And we're up at night. Worried about our work. That means work may be your salvation. But work is also an incredible opportunity for us to display the goodness of God. We take the, the parent that's raising kids. How, do, how is their work aligned with their faith? How is their work, no longer their work, but God's work? We've got to think about the patience and the kindness that God has had with us. And then we display that to our kids when we're raising them. We don't rage at them, which is so easy to do sometimes when they misbehave. We give them unmerited favor and unmerited kindness, just like we've been given with Jesus on the cross. How about if you go to school, does your work align with the gospel? Absolutely, man. You're not just there taking classes. God has given you the opportunity to learn something, to learn a trade, to learn a, a, a subject, so that you can finish school, you can get into the world, you can make a positive impact on the world with the subject that you've learned. You study hard with excellence and, and try to do the best you can. You work as though you're working for the Lord. Have you ever heard that before? From Colossians. How about the educators? How about going into a hornet's nest, possibly, if you're in public school? How about being asked to teach things you don't want to teach? Your work is God's work. These are tough times for educators. But you work and you teach and you do the best you can with excellence. You try your, your darndest to, to teach those kids whether they like it or not. Like they're your own kids. You work your fingers to the bone. You work as if it all is up to you. But then we rest at night because why? It's not up to us. 
We're not in charge. It's not our work that matters. It's God's work. He's working in us and through us in his plan for salvation. For the police officers, man, there's almost no better job that, that, uh, that points to the gospel than somebody that has to protect and serve and maybe give their life for somebody else. What better way can you do that than be a cop? Also, one of the hardest jobs out there right now with the videos and everybody coming down on them. View your job as if it is God's work through you. It's not your work, it's God's work. The farmer, the business owner. Listen, you have a, a special place, the business owner does. A place of influence in people's lives. You've got people that look up to you. You've got employees. You've got clients or, or products that you're making for people. Or you have uh, crops that you're growing for, for the world. You've got to see God is working through you to make this happen. You need to serve your clients. You need to grow this stuff with excellence. Do the best that you can. Treat your employees better than they deserve with unmerited favor, just like you've been given. Be generous to them. More than they deserve, maybe. Make a profit. Profit is not bad. Profit is good. Profit is great. It is proof you make a good product or a service. It's proof. Make a profit and then be incredibly generous with that profit. If God has blessed you with that. We could go on and on to every single person's vocation, their job, whether it's at home, whether it's in the workplace. All of your jobs is God working through you. Do you see the difference? We started talking about us thinking too highly of our work and not thinking highly enough of God's work. We flipped it. This is God's work that we're doing. It's not our own. This changed, like, this idea that faith and work can be aligned, like, changed my life a couple years ago. I was in, or I am in the investment business thinking, what am I doing? Well, I have no, like, there's no great purpose to what I do. Am I making the rich richer? That's not a great calling, right? But I saw, I read the, the meaning of work, I think, from Keller. I read this other book called uh, Business for the Glory of God. And I had no idea that these two things, they're not separate. They're aligned. They're combined. The people that we serve, the product that we create, the process in which it's all done, in which it's created. These are things you need to think about, whether you're a business owner or whether you're just a, a, a worker pulling a paycheck. You work with people, you have a product that you're doing, there is a process to what you're doing. Think about these things and align these different aspects with scripture. There is scripture that can help guide you. And I'm available too. Tim at OutwardChurch.com, man, I love talking about work. Work is awesome, especially when it is aligned appropriately with the faith and the God that we know and love. This is a funny passage. It starts by telling us it's not up to us. It's not about your work. And then how does it end? Now get to work. <laughs> this isn't about you. Now get out there and work. But it's different, isn't it? When it's flipped, it changes everything. Think less of your work. Think more of God's work 
in you and through you. And then, hammer and nails, boys and girls. Let's get to work. Just like Carrie Haddon would say. Let's get out there and let's accomplish. Let's bless the world with our incredible work that God is doing in us and through us. Let me pray for us. We'll end there.